0: Today is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. It's day 833 of the J6 political hostage crisis. I'm Mel Holly, and this is your Justice in Jeopardy update. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Justice in Jeopardy. I'm excited tonight to be talking to J6ers who are father and son uh and they have two a little different stories from the outcome of attending the Capitol on january 6 2021 and we're going to get to know them and hear their stories and and what they're what they're going through right now so uh welcome to the show uh ryan Zink. how are you
1: i'm doing well how are you mel
0: i'm doing great and we've also got his dad jeff Zink, here how are you doing jeff
2: thanks Mel for having us on we really appreciate it and uh, uh we really uh, thank you for the support that you're doing for the j6 uh, people and what we can do to get their voice out
0: well thank you it's it's my pleasure my uh my platform as I say all the time is is a platform for the voices of the j6ers and it's it's my pleasure to do it and I wouldn't I wouldn't be anywhere else right now um why don't we start with you guys giving us a little background on um on who you are, what your life was like before January 6th. And uh, who, who wants to start? Jeff, you want to start? Sure. Uh,
2: I can, uh, I've got a, a testimony that uh, takes me in and which actually creates the the uh, reason why we go. Um, you know, I, I played college football 40 years ago at Texas Tech University and I ended up uh, fracturing my neck. I uh, was suffered migraine headaches uh, for a very long time. And it grew worse as I grew older. Um, About nine years ago, I walked into Burroughs ER uh, with a uh, blood pressure of about 240 over uh, 198. And uh, I should have died that day. But God had a plan for me. And over the next five years, none of the neurologists or anybody could figure out what was going on. And I became 100% disabled. Um, I literally lived on a couch in bed and, and paced the floor for three years. On December 24th of 2020, uh, I prayed a different prayer. I prayed that uh, that night, God, I don't want to live this life any longer, but whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will do that and I will be your faithful servant. As you're in front of me, Mel, so did God appear uh, before me that night at three o'clock in the morning. And he said, I'm going to break your headaches. I'm going to restore your health. And I'm going to uh, send you to Congress to represent my people. Now, I can tell you that I had migraine headaches for over 40 years, and I could barely walk across the living room floor without getting uh, uh, out of breath. So uh, after that, I haven't had and since that night, I haven't had a headache. I've not had any headaches whatsoever whatsoever. Um, I can tell you that my health has been completely restored. My wife and I were planning my funeral uh, very shortly after that because I wasn't going to uh, make it. And and all of that has changed. And so now, because of that, and because of the stolen election that was taking place at that time, because that's what I thought, and because I was uh, now uh, being driven to go to Congress, I, I thought, you know what, it would be, and we made this decision around January the 3rd or 4th. I mean, just a few days, uh, a day before we got uh, plane tickets and got on the plane and went to Washington DC and, uh, and everything. That's what took place. And the reason why I decided to, uh, to go and my son had come down and we had talked and he had been taking pictures and, and stuff. And now I'm going to let him talk. My life um, pre J6
1: was really kind of hard. Um, I was a struggling business owner who nearly got over the top. Uh, my arrest pretty much decapitated uh, my company. But um, I had been, I'd, was injured to the point I got hit by a drunk driver in the afternoon. I got rear-ended and I had a significant shoulder injury. And then that injury had progressed further because I had tried to continue to work because I'll be the first person to tell you that workman's comp doesn't pay the bills. And, um, so I'd gone back to work and I was trying to move some paper and I wound up re-injuring my shoulder and lost pretty much all the progress that I had well, the insurance company had decided that they were going to kick me off of the, uh, the insurance because they didn't see that there was anything that was happening. So I decided, you know, uh, my dad has worked in sports medicine for uh, as long as I've been alive. Basically, he's been trying to help or care or treat for somebody, you know, oftentimes gets free advice, um, you know, even sometimes as, you know, given treatment to people that have just been refused um, for whatever reason. And so having that ace in the hole, I decided that I was going to go to Arizona and uh, go get some free treatment from him. And I was going to work with him and, and try to get things done. Well, as you know, coming from, I specifically remember telling, uh, you know, like my best friend and a couple of other people, like, you know, this may be the last time that I, that I get to go up to Arizona. And
0: you were Uh, were in Texas at the time.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. in, In Lubbock, Texas. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, I remember going up there and telling, you know, telling some of my friends along the way that like, I'm fixing to lose my dad. And, uh, I, I had come up in, uh, November at, uh, like an, at, a, at like an early point. And then I wound up getting stranded there because I had a, I had a truck, I had a diesel truck that decided that it was going to eat a turbo and catch on fire. And, um, so I was actually stranded in Phoenix with no way to get back. So, and wow,
0: wow God, God, God is really visible in, in your stories, isn't he? Yeah, your stories. Yeah. I mean, Wow
1: it's uh it's yep. I, I would think you know that's that's kind of an understatement because i i don't think you know before j6 i i think i'm a much better man now through the things that uh you know i've had to deal with um along the way but when i was there you know you have to see you know just how hurt i was and see you know who my father had just you know stepped up into like the, the way that he had basically recovered, like over, like overnight, um, while we had, you know, been up there and, you know, like he said, um, I didn't know that I was going to J6. So I was a media student. I was also attending, uh, Texas tech before I was forced to drop out from my shoulder injury because I I could not make it to class. I could not function. I couldn't even wake up, um, because of the, the shoulder pain, um, that I had, And so I was a senior, I was fixing to graduate. um, But I just couldn't get the curriculum done. Like I just I I couldn't focus the muscle relaxers and stuff were just just ate me tore me apart. And um, so I'm up there and my dad has never really been the guy that kind of cares what he looks like or, you know, what particular hues or sheens go well with each other. Getting him to develop a backdrop of those flags in the office when we first got started in this was an unnecessary expense that the American people didn't care about. And, you know, some of them may not, uh, but I'm in, you know, I was in media and there's there's kind of a look that's associated with success, and so I started working with him and I was like, you know, hey, we're going to, you know, if we're going to do this, like take advantage of me while I'm still here. And uh, so he hired me in. Uh, I got started. We took the the first official Jeff Zink for Congress um, campaign photos and started working, got some backdrops. Uh, luckily, the Phoenix area has a wonderful, wonderful plethora of these amazing stores across the country called Goodwill that, particularly up around the Scottsdale (laughs) area has immaculate stuff for offices. I mean, it's just like, it's basically. Oh,
0: I I would imagine. So it's Scott, Scottsdale. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) So with the, with the very fragile budget that we had back then with being in a a total of, I think maybe six to seven days. Um, at this point we were able to, you know, get together a, a very decent photo shoot and, uh, you know, get some, get some things accomplished, working towards the web page and, you know, trying to get vectors and, and, you know, just the, the generalized, you know, imagery and stuff that comes with uh, him being at district three. And then all of a sudden, you know, on like January 3rd or 4th or, or something, my dad comes parading into the living room and he says, I'm going to Washington DC. And at this point, I'm a media major and I'm hurt. So I don't really have anything to do except watch the news. And we had just seen, you know, a Trump supporter that got shot in the head and Tifa jumping people, you know, and uh, like I said, my dad's never really been the type, you know, to, to stray away from anyone. It's just not in us. Like he'll have a conversation with anybody, but there are, you know, in those particular kinds of groups, there's some troublemakers, you know, there's some people that would, uh, you know, cause harm. And I, I told him, I was like, are you sure that you want to go up to DC by yourself? And, you know, it's not like we were expecting trouble or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's, you just don't travel alone. And so I was like, you know what, if I was like, I don't really have the money to do this, but, um, you know, we could go, I, you know, if you guys have a way, I could go up there with you. We could take some, some campaign shots, And we could, you know, make this a business trip. This could be something that you could utilize that's up there because at the time he truly believed that, you know, um, Arizona. So we had, and so at the time we had seen the the numbers and, you know, had kind of crunched those out and we're looking at things. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Ted Cruz signs off on the Arizona objection. And so, That was basically what we were looking into at the time was whether or not they were going to certify um, the election or if Ted Cruz was going, you know, and his signature was actually going to make a difference in Arizona because we just saw this huge spike, you know, that still has not been explained to this day other than, you know, Joe Biden has the most successful election campaign in history with 81 million votes. so you know, we left and went to DC, two fragile men, uh, you know, sticking together on their, uh, you know, on their campaign to get him elected. And, uh, so we had stayed in a, in a, a state over from, uh, from DC, uh, with some family that luckily lived in the area. And then, uh, the morning of January 6th comes, you know, we fly in on separate flights, get get down um go and stay with our our family and then we get up like super early it was dark it was freezing outside compared to phoenix where i think it was still like 60 70 80 degrees outside and we get into washington dc <laughs> off of the metro and it was one of the first uh, you know, Facebook post that I made. Uh, that's even in my arrest report. You know, where they're trying to indicate that I'm expecting trouble or like plotting and planning something, because I'm talking about the weather and I say, you know, it's getting rough out here, and because it's like, <laughs> oh wow, it's like 28 degrees outside. That's a little rough. I, I think most people yeah. would agree. So um, we head on over to. You know Freedom Plaza, and we man, we got some great shots of uh, Dad on the Metro and of um, everything in Freedom Plaza. And I don't care what any newspaper says about there being thousands of people there. I have a different image in mind, and I think that it was a couple million at that point.
0: Absolutely, yeah, agreed. So, and, uh, let me let me ask something real quick. Um, so it sounds like you guys were were Trump voters. Um and were were politics something that was was talked about a lot in your house while you were growing up? Is you know, did everybody or was this something that was kind of new to you? How how did how did you get to that point?
2: A lot of it was is that um my
1: life um pre-J6 was really kind of hard. Um I was a struggling business owner who nearly got over the top. Uh my arrest pretty much decapitated, uh, my company, but, um, I had been, I was injured to the point. I got hit by a drunk driver in the afternoon. I got rear-ended and I had a significant shoulder injury. And then that injury had progressed further because I had tried to continue to work because I'll be the first person to tell you that workman's comp doesn't pay the bills. And, um, So I'd gone back to work and I was trying to move some paper and I wound up re-injuring my shoulder and lost pretty much all the progress that I had. Well, the insurance company had decided that they were going to kick me off of the the insurance because they didn't see that there was anything that was happening. So I decided, you know, uh, my dad has worked in sports medicine for uh, as long as I've been alive basically. He's been trying to help care or treat for somebody, you know, oftentimes gives free advice, um, you know, even sometimes as you know given treatment to people that have just been refused um for whatever reason. And so having that ace in the hole, I decided that I was going to go to Arizona and uh go get some free treatment from him. And I was going to work with him and, and try to get things done. Well, as you know, coming from, I specifically remember telling, uh, you know, like my best friend and a couple of other people, like, you know, this may be the last time that I, that I get to go up to Arizona. And uh, you
0: were you were in Texas at the time.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. In Lubbock, Texas. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, I remember going up there and telling, you know, telling some of my friends along the way that like, I'm fixing to lose my dad. And, uh, I, I had come up in, uh, November at, uh, like an, at at like an early point. And then I wound up getting stranded there because I had a, I had a truck, I had a diesel truck that decided that it was going to eat a turbo and catch on fire. And, um, so I was actually stranded in Phoenix with no way to get back. So, and
0: wow, God, God, God is really visible in, in your stories, isn't he? Your stories. I mean, wow.
1: It's uh it's yep. I, I would think you know that's that's kind of an understatement because I I don't think you know before J6 I I think I'm a much better man now through the things that uh you know I've had to deal with um along the way but when I was there you know you have to see you know just how hurt I was and see you know who my father had just you know stepped up into like the, the way that he had basically recovered, like over, like overnight, um, while we had, you know, been up there and, you know, like he said, um, I didn't know that I was going to J6. So I was a media student. I was also attending, uh, Texas tech before I was forced to drop out from my shoulder injury because I I could not make it to class. I could not function. I couldn't even wake up, um, because of the, the shoulder pain, um, that I had, And so I was a senior, I was fixing to graduate. um, But I just couldn't get the curriculum done. Like I just I I couldn't focus the muscle relaxers and stuff were just just ate me tore me apart. And um, so I'm up there and my dad has never really been the guy that kind of cares what he looks like or, you know, what particular hues or sheens go well with each other. Getting him to develop a backdrop of those flags in the office when we first got started in this was an unnecessary expense that the American people didn't care about. And, you know, some of them may not, uh, but I'm in, you know, I was in media and there's there's kind of a look that's associated with success, and so I started working with him and I was like, you know, hey, we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna do this, like take advantage of me while I'm still here. And uh so he hired me in. Uh I got started. We took the the first official Jeff Zink for Congress um campaign photos and started working, got some backdrops. I uh, luckily the Phoenix area has a wonderful, wonderful plethora of these amazing stores across the country called Goodwill that particularly up around the Scottsdale <laughs> area has immaculate stuff for offices. I mean, it's just like, it's basically. Oh,
0: I, I would imagine. So it's Scott, Scottsdale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> went, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So <laughs> with the, with the very fragile budget that we had back then with being in a, a total of, I think maybe six to seven days, um, at this point, we were able to, you know, get together a, a very decent photo shoot and, uh, you know, get some, get some things accomplished, working towards the web page and, you know, trying to get vectors and, and, you know, just the, the generalized, you know, imagery and stuff that comes with uh, him being at district three. And then all of a sudden, you know, on like January 3rd or 4th or, or something, my dad comes parading into the living room and he says, I'm going to Washington DC. And at this point, I'm a media major and I'm hurt. So I don't really have anything to do except watch the news. And we had just seen, you know, a Trump supporter that got shot in the head and Tifa jumping people, you know, and uh, like I said, my dad's never really been the type, you know, to, to stray away from anyone. It's just not in us. Like he'll have a conversation with anybody, but there are, you know, in those particular kinds of groups, there's some troublemakers, you know, there's some people that would, uh, you know, cause harm. And I, I told him, I was like, are you sure that you want to go up to DC by yourself? And, you know, it's not like we were expecting trouble or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's, you just don't travel alone. And so I was like, you know what, if I was like, I don't really have the money to do this, but, um, you know, we could go, I, you know, if you guys have a way, I could go up there with you. We could take some, some campaign shots, And we could, you know, make this a business trip. This could be something that you could utilize that's up there because at the time he truly believed that, you know, um, Arizona. So we had, and so at the time we had seen the the numbers and, you know, had kind of crunched those out and we're looking at things. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Ted Cruz signs off on the Arizona objection. And so, That was basically what we were looking into at the time was whether or not they were going to certify um, the election or if Ted Cruz was going, you know, and his signature was actually going to make a difference in Arizona because we just saw this huge spike, you know, that still has not been explained to this day other than, you know, Joe Biden has the most successful election campaign in history with 81 million votes. Um, So you know, we left and went to DC, two fragile men, uh, you know, sticking together on their, uh, you know, on their campaign to get him elected. And, uh, so we had stayed in a, in a, a state over from, uh, from DC, uh, with some family that luckily lived in the area. And then, uh, the morning of January 6th comes, you know, we fly in on separate flights, get, get down, um, go and stay with our, our family. And then we get up like super early. It was dark. It was freezing outside compared to Phoenix, where I think it was still like 60, 70, 80 degrees outside. And we get into Washington, (laughs) DC off the Metro. And it was one of the first, uh, you know, Facebook post that I made. Uh, that's even in my arrest report. You know, where they're trying to indicate that I'm expecting trouble or like plotting and planning something because I'm talking about the weather and I say, you know, it's getting rough out here, and because it's like, <laughs> oh wow, it's like 28 degrees outside. That's a little rough. I, I think most people yeah. would agree. So um, we head on over to. You know, Freedom Plaza and we man, we got some great shots of uh dad on the metro and of um everything in Freedom Plaza. And I don't care what any newspaper says about there being thousands of people there. I have a different image in mind, and I think that it was a couple million at that point. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Agreed. So, and, uh, let me let me ask something real quick. Um, so it sounds like you guys were were Trump voters. Um, and were, were politics, something that was, was talked about a lot in your house while you were growing up as, you know, did everybody, or was this something that was kind of new to you? How, how did, how did you get to that point?
2: Politics was something that was discussed, uh, and, uh, when I was growing up, um, when I cast my first vote, what's really interesting is, was for, uh, Ronald Reagan's first term, uh, in office in 1980. What's really funny is, is that I turned 18 on November the first. I voted on November the second, 1980, for Ronald Reagan. Um, and my household was uh, uh, that I grew up in was a very conservative, uh, Christian home uh, and stuff. And then um, in uh, Ryan's home, I, it was something that was always. Uh, you know, you went down, you voted and, and that was the extent. I thought that voting uh, was it. We were never involved in, in legislative districts. We were not precinct committeemen, which is what they are here, in, which is the grassroots here in, in Arizona. Um, you know, but now uh, today, not only am I a precinct committeeman, I'm also uh, the uh, precinct uh, uh, chairman. I'm a state committing man uh, uh, in here in Arizona and running for Congress on top of that. So I've gone from really uh, the, the only duty you're supposed to do is voting to now being very active in what's
0: going on. Yeah. Yeah. OK, well, uh, Ryan, let's get back to your story. So uh, you're, you're out there at Freedom Plaza taking pictures So we
1: had tried to go in and listen to everybody speak, Um, but we never got the chance to because I have all of my media gear with me, like pretty much everything that I used to, you know, be on the campaign trail with him, document notes. Plus, we had some lunches and the Secret Service would not allow us into the area because we had our backpacks. And, uh, you know, he had a bag on him and I have got a backpack that is just loaded with media gear, no weapons, no anything like that. And, you know, just there to support him in the media campaign. So we finally you know, we get tired of being over there because it's like, okay, we're not getting in here. I think we have enough shots. So we went over and we had some, some lunch at one of the taco trucks that was uh, there kind of, kind of like outside of the museum. And uh, I think it's probably, it's like somewhere between like one 20, one 30 at this point, uh, we still hadn't, you know, made our way over to the Capitol, uh, you know, approximately, you know, it's not uh, an exact uh, measure of time. But um, then we, you know, we stopped and talked to some people with uh, Samoans for Trump, um, you know, uh, some former CCP party uh, members that were there that were giving some very interesting, you know, uh, information about what was going on. Some of that is actually playing out right now, the stuff that they were talking about. Uh, I remember, you know, a guy talking about them having like police, headquarters and stuff in the United States to spy on us. And there was just one, you know, in New York. Uh, you know, but China's not the threat. Right. Um, so yeah. you know, it just uh we get to that point, go up. Um I think at one point, you know, from the the long walk and being out there, uh there were some uh potties over towards the supreme court went over there for a while and that's when we saw the first unusual thing of the day and i haven't really ever brought this up in another podcast but we happened to see people changing out of all black underneath this tree um and they were changing into maga gear into into maga hats into uh, a couple of things and i got some good pictures of them. Um, so I'm really wondering in discovery if they're going to give those to us so that we can identify those people and find out, you know, what they were doing at the time. So that was the first.
0: So do you still have access to that or was that all taken from you?
1: Oh, no, no, that was, that was absolutely the first thing I'm sure they, (laughs) um, So that was the first unusual thing of the day. Everything else that was up until that point, right around until when on the Supreme Court side, there was some pushing and shoving that had started. Everything was pretty peaceful. Um, You know, you could see people walking around, people talking. There was a couple of people on, you know, megaphones and stuff like that. Nothing had really started yet. And then I keep talking about it. Nobody else seems to to. To think this, but I distinctly remember hearing like trench style whistles start to blow. And it was one of the things that kind of I was like, what? Why are you doing that? And then I heard a couple more of them. And then that's when um we see Pam Hinfield walking in front of the uh walking in front of all the, the barricades that were that were over there. You know, no police attempted to stop her, nobody said anything she walked from one side all the way down to the other in front of us recording uh didn't know pam at the time uh we would later you know come into contact with her uh through twitter and, and
0: for those for those who don't know who pam hempel is uh she's she's also known as maga granny um and she was arrested and did two months in a in a uh, very um uh, high security prison in in california so uh and barely made it out she's she's uh, i've had her on the show before
2: just quickly uh, on uh, Pam Hemphill, because uh, she's not allowed to uh, say some things. And uh, being a congressional candidate, I get to have access to some things that a lot of other people don't. And, you know, one of the things that I want to tell everybody is, is the reason why she was made to take a plea deal, and I said made, is the fact that they used the, uh, the fact that she had cancer And they were not going to allow her to continue her cancer treatments during the time that they were going to uh, hold her for trial which would have been a death sentence. So she was literally having to choose do I uh, take this plea deal so I can continue my uh, cancer treatments or do I not and go in there and then and take the chance. And so again um, one of the things that I want to do when I get into Congress is to go back and start to restore everyone that was coerced and forced into their plea deals
0: that would be huge that would be a big step
1: when i hear a loud whistle blast is when everything started happening over on the other side the thing that i distinctly remember seeing is some there was a little bit of a disturbance some yelling And then a couple of police officers responded. And the thing that I remember seeing is one of the Capitol police smashing somebody with a baton. And that was when when everything over far to the left of us started to go off. Well, at this point, the barricades get opened on that side and people start piling in and we're standing there and we're like, okay, what's going to happen with this? Well, then right after this is when I think one of the most famous clips from January 6th occurs, because my dad and I are standing in front of what is like a green light pole. It's like a generator that you know supports a big light. And just to the right of this, there was a Capitol Police officer that starts waving people through the barricades. And we have that clip. And You can see directly like where we are in the, in the positioning. And this police officer starts waving people through. We don't know this at the time, but the, the Capitol, uh, the, the first steps Ray Epps and them have already crashed through this. So that coordinated effort of whatever is going on over there, they are already making their way, uh, over into the inauguration area, and so everything has started to transpire and unfold and we are still standing there we are like what is going on and then the right side over to us i remember this guy with a dog getting really aggressive and like shaking stuff and then we can see you know police start to start to backtrack but this these police officers over here are moving barricades and then uh this one police officer is um is waving people through and it's very distinct like you see him he goes to a full sprint to the front of the barricade and then starts waving people through telling them come on come on come on and this is right in front and we
0: of- have and we have very limited video from that side of the building right. you know i mean because did we have, did we have only, did we have just Capitol Police over there? Were there Metro Police?
1: I have not been able to de- to identify who all was over there, but as okay. I understand Because the
0: Capitol Police Capitol- don't have uh, body cams, just the, just the Metro Police. And that early, I don't know if there were Metro Police back on that side, but, but I have heard a lot lately from, from several different people that that has been an issue. The fact that we just can't find, we're not, we're not being given video from from that side of the building
1: yeah well that tends to be a problem in all of the cases because you know it's the prosecutor in my case has been fairly forthcoming with discovery i i would think the biggest contribution that i had to the reason things have taken so long is because i had worthless attorneys up until uh they quit and um were these were these uh, private attorneys Yes, yes. My my mother took out a second mortgage on her home uh for eighty-five thousand dollars in order to get these attorneys. And what they were looking for, obviously, was for me to do a quick run, take a plea deal so that they can take the money and run. And um, you know, it's just been that's one thing, but I, I digress from that because I, I really want to talk about what happened on on the board. Yes,
0: please go ahead. Um
1: so me and dad are standing there, there's Thousands of people at this point that have been either barricades have been moved we know that the police officers that were behind ashley babbitt are moving up telling people to go to the capitol on the right side of us there everybody's moving in and we're still standing there and you know dad looks at me and he's talking to me and he's like well what do you think and i was like what you know what do you think he's like well should we go in and i was like not inside the capitol I was like but they're waving us through, you know, right here and you know to to let us up. And so I was like I don't see why not. You know, you're congressional candidate, like we should probably find out what's going on with with everything. And so we had hung back at the back. So it's not, you know, it's not like they the FBI presented to the media where I was like charging up through, you know, yeah. making <laughs> my way like we're going to get these suckers, you know, it's, it's <laughs> Nothing, it's nothing like that. So we go up to just to the right side of the stairs where uh, there's protesters and police that are engaging at this point. I think later on we found some video that there was some, you know, like some pushing and shoving that was happening up there. But from where, like from the first part of where we were standing, you really couldn't see any of that. You know, everything had just kind of escalated so quickly. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And then we, we get up there. Um, And we're standing around like where the porch area is. So sometimes shortly after this is when the police open everything up, they open up the porch, they turn around, they, this one police officer, which I'm still looking for this footage. So if any of you out there were at the steps of the Columbus doors and you got on film, what that police officer says to the crowd as he comes down, we still need that footage because they deny it exists. So, Um, and you can contact the John Pierce law firm, send them a dollar with the footage. They represent you too, at that point. And so, you know, you can, you can help, uh, that way if you have that, because we really need to get into a transcript, what that police officer says at the steps as, as they're opening it up. So, you know, of course they open it up, the more violent, aggressive people start, Running, sprinting up the steps, you know, to get to the door or whatever. And then me and dad, we make our way up to the side. I'm following him all the way up the stairs, you know, taking pictures, trying to get uh, everything. And there's really not a point in the day that I would like to clarify that I either don't have my phone or my camera in my hand. No matter what you you know, you know see, even from my personal research, I'm not talking about anything in Discovery because I don't want to violate the gag order. But in my research, I have not found a single portion that I either am not talking to someone, taking pictures of dad or taking pictures of what's going on. But here's where we get to the interesting part of the day. So we get to the right of the Columbus Doors. And this is where we first make contact with an individual who's known as Hunter Emke. Hunter Allen Imkey is the individual that kicks out the windows from the ledge to the right of the Columbus doors. And there has been some speculation about him being Antifa. There's been some speculation about him being a confidential human source. I don't know. All I saw was a man breaking the law that day. And, you know, he jumps up on the ledge, he punches the window and then kicks it out. And the Capitol police make their way out of the Columbus doors and they tackle him to the ground and they take him into custody. I see nothing wrong with that. I have always supported the blue. I think that this particular individual and those like him who are causing damage, I think there is a separation of what, of what comes. And because that building is everyone's building, that is our building and you are damaging your, you know, that is not politically protected speech. That is not a form of anything You know, that um, that I see now, whether or not, of course, that's not legal advice. But, you know, from what I see, I saw an individual that was breaking the law. So at this point, when Hunter is taken into custody is when some of the other people start to turn violent towards the police. And like I said, I've always backed the blue. There has never I've always been in support of law enforcement, you know, and uh, of our fire, EMS, teachers. I, that's that you know traditional family that I grew up in. It was never the the question when I came through the door and I was in trouble wasn't what did they do to you? It was what did you do? And you know so we you know and he's laughing, but on the other end of this I was terrified. And uh, so that's the house that I grew up in. Was that I grew up with SWATs? I grew up with. You know, you respect those that are in authority. You, you will do what you are going to do and you will do what's right, even if it hurts. And that was what I was told every morning as I walked out the door, do what's right, even if it hurts Uh, from my dad, as well as from uh, my grandfather, who also, you know, served in the military in World War II. So there was a pretty long line of respect aspects that come from it. So I speak out at this point. And I yell at people, you know, as in my frail state, I see something that's wrong on this porch because these people are fixing to start attacking these police officers. And I speak out and I say, leave them alone. They are just doing their job. He is breaking the law. And as the where I'd like to think people say that we're a fairly loud family. Um, so it was pretty easy for them to hear me. And, you know, and they and they backed off. And for as as far as I know and everything that I've seen from that point forward, because I spoke up, those police officers that stayed to the right hand side did not get attacked. And, you know, and people asked, you know, why would you do that? You know, you were hurt because it was the right thing to do, because those men don't have anything to do with the process of what is going on, because that is what we were there to see. We were there to see whether or not Arizona was going to be objected and overturned to. But then at that point was when we decided to investigate what was going on that was up there. And I'm making, you know, Facebook posts. I'm talking to people. And then at this point is when I come into contact with a police officer who has still not been identified. And I walk up to him, Capitol Police officer, and I say to him, how can we help you? And he looks me in the face and tells me, take pictures of them. So he tells me with, with what I have, with what I'm doing, how I can help them is to stay and take pictures of them. And I did. We stayed there for as long as we were told that it was there. So my father, again, congressional candidate, we go over and we're I'm taking pictures. I'm looking for people being violent, trying you know to do whatever. I'm taking pictures of the crowd, trying to see if there's anything that's going on. And dad is talking to this police officer to our, to our right, which I believe we have identified him. I'm not sure uh, about, about whether or not he's been identified um, because that would be, you know, a breach in the gag order. But I, I think that there's been one or two that have been identified and those were not from my case. Those were actually from the police reports in Hunter Emke's case. So again, nothing to do with my gag order. Um, so dad is talking to him. He gives him his card and says, you know, hey, if there's anything that we can do to help you, please let us know. This is my son. His name is Ryan. He's got footage and I've got video pictures of everything. And you, and you can actually on my gifts and go. I have the link posted of this moment to where you can hear me yelling at the people. So if you don't believe me, feel free to go and view the footage yourself for all of you watching. <laughs> and um so at this point in the day we are thinking okay these we're we're probably going to be filling out some kind of affidavit they're gonna you know we're here to to help police officers and uh to find out what's going on well at this point in the day is when ashley Babbage is murdered we hear the shots um over on the policeman's radio, on his shoulder, this is the stuff that I'm posting to Facebook, you know, uh, the post that says literally inside of the Capitol, shots fired, there's a fire. One of the things that they had me arrested because I went into the Capitol, which never happened. I did not go in the Capitol.
0: So was it because of your wording there that you said I, literally yeah, inside believe, the Capitol? So they're I taking that? so. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah and they're taking it out of context
1: just like everything else with with a majority of what's going on with my case if not all of it and uh we hear that so at this point because of how me and dad have been interacting now mind you this is as police officers are are coming out at this point we don't know what's going on inside of the building around the other side all we can see is like what's right in front of us so we can't see the protesters that are attacking police inside of the doors the only thing that we see is that I guess I thought at the time that people they had mace some people and there were some police officers that were coming out that had mace in their face. And so I'm digging through my bag, trying to find water so that they can rinse their rinse their eyes out. But I only have flavored water at the time. And so I was like, oh, yeah, you probably don't want to put this in your eyes. Um, You know, dad checks his bag. He's offering medical services. To them, you know, know, some of the police officers refused, others, you know, just kind of gave a casual no thank you uh, to what was going on. But we're interacting with this one police officer that is over to the side and then Ashley got gets shot. And over the radio, we hear him, you know, shots fired. I make the post about it because they he said, well, there's either shots fired or there's a fire inside of the building. And then the second call comes in and it's shots fired. And so I've already sent, you know, this this uh, Facebook uh, post at the time. And so this police officer, knowing that dad is a congressional candidate, I'm his son and that I'm his media guy, tells us, hey, there's an active shooting going on. You guys should probably stand over here as this is the most shielded side of the building. He gives up his back to us. We're behind these police officers at this point. So I am so much of a threat at this point of the day that this police officer has given up his back to me and my dad Mm. to stand behind them so that we could be shielded from a stray bullet or, you know, whatever is going on. Because at first he had thought that it was below us, uh, below the balcony, on the porch. So obviously, you know, I am such a terrorist at this point in the day that a police officer is willing to give up his back to us and put us behind us because of what we have, you know, done on the porch. So a little bit after this is when the call comes in because Mariel Bowser has enacted the the curfew that's going to begin at 6 p.m. And this is the only time during the day that we're there that we have an interaction where the police tell us that we should leave. And this police officer looks at us and says, you know, hey, this is a call that has just come in. They're fixing to interact a curfew and they're going to start clearing out the building. It would probably be a good idea for you guys to leave at this point. We start saying our goodbyes. I, I think it was actually at this point when dad hands him the card and says, you know, hey, I'm running for office, it may have been a little bit before this, but I, he did that. And so I'm still documenting and taking photos and doing all that stuff at this point. And we get thanked, you know, for what we did, you know, we'll be contacting you We're, you know, if we need anything, we'll call you to, to get involved at this point. We're like, okay, great. We're leaving. Um, We go down, we start making our way down the stairs. And this is when we actually meet Pam Henfield, Maga Granny. And um, so I am standing, taking pictures. Um, Dad's talking to her. I get some great photos of him on the steps. um, As we're coming down, there's protesters. Oh, sorry, I skipped a part. I did. We're leaving. And I tell my dad, so scratch that. We haven't met Pam yet. Um, uh, so we decide that we're we're going to leave and I tell my dad I'm like, you know hey I help me stand on this um on this platform over here and it's just one of the pedestals that comes down out of the ceiling uh from there I was like I want to see what's going on inside of the Capitol and to to see what's going on because I like I hear some like screaming and shouting or whatever so I stand up on top of of this uh this pedestal and I use my lens to zoom in to see what is going on inside of the doors. And it is at this point that I realize that all hell has broken loose on this side. And I leaned down after I can finally see it. Takes me a little bit to, to kind of figure out what's going on because one of the doors is still closed. The you know, the first two are are open. You know, you can see people are there. And that's when I told my dad, I was like, there are people in the Capitol. And he was like. He was like, what? And then that's when that second series pops up. And you can I could very clearly see looking through there that there were people attacking the the Capitol Police, whoever was inside. And I leaned down to my dad and was like, we need to get the F out of here right now. I was like, this is not why we are here. I was like, there are people they are literally beating the shit out of those guys that are inside i was like it is not how it is out here like this is like this is not okay we need to leave now yeah yeah. so we start we head down the steps this is when we meet pam pam had just been trampled over uh by some people she gets stood up i get some pictures i go down to the base there's a little bit of a climbing platform off of one of the secret service vehicles that's designated and made for climbing I get up there and I'm holding on to the side and getting up and I get some great shots of dad on the steps because, again, this is a documentation deal. I'm working for him. I can't just pay attention to everything that's going on around me of what's happening. And um, we make our way back around the uh, it would be the right side if you're facing the building, the left side if you're facing the Supreme Court and we get around. And I think at this point is when it really starts to dawn on us what's going on. And this is the first time that I saw Jake that day. Um, he was out on the steps that are to the right of it. And Jacob Chansley? I, yes, uh, Jacob Chansley. And uh, I got some pictures of him because I was like, that is a really neat, you know, deal to, to see. Didn't know anything about what was going on inside of the Capitol other than what was going on at the door's uh that we had just seen at the time that was our final decision to leave and um we make our way around and I, and it was whenever we got to the the kind of the grassy knoll area we encountered no barricades everything had been moved and taken down as we're moving around through the other side and that was when we saw exactly how big January 6 was and the the scale of what had happened. And so I was like, we have to go that way to go through the Metro uh, to get back to the Metro, no matter what we should probably go see what's going on over here and document just to, just to look through and, you know, to be able to talk to your constituents into the media uh, Mm -hmm. whenever, you know, we get back and then we go We make our way up through there, take some pictures. We don't stay there very long. Uh, it's, It's literally just a we are going to walk through here just to see what is happening, snap some pictures, see what's going on. And then we left and we made our way through. And this is when I see the second thing that was unusual about that day because there were more people over in an area. That was underneath a tree by some porter potties that were changing out of black clothes and into maga gear, and vice versa. So there were people that were changing out of black clothes and into maga gear, and there were people that were changing out of maga gear and into black clothes at at this at this place. And so I took some pictures of them, and this guy yelled at me and was like, "I bet, eat those effing pictures." And I was like, "No." And so we start making our way we get back to the metro we get picked up long before the curfew long before any of the biggest portions of the violence because at this point we we don't know what's going on in the tunnel you can't see it we didn't get that close you know there's there's really no aspect of this like where you know we got close outside of being on the the porch which was opened up and we get to the metro and we get back to where we're going and At this time is whenever we're kind of like decompressing, like, what the hell just happened? And, you know, we have gotten back and eaten and everything. And then that's when we start seeing some of the first footage that's like, you know, hey, this is going on. Eventually, Congress goes back into session. We were eagerly and anxiously awaiting what the decision was going to be from Congress. We had actually uh, turned it on over at the house that we were staying at, waiting for that decision. And then we went to bed. We got up the next day, January 7th. We went back to the Capitol to see what was going on, to see um, if, you know, to kind of, I was wanting to get some pictures of how they had assessed the damage from Hunter Emke, um, and maybe to use that like as a backdrop or something for dad. But we had an ulterior purpose. Uh, my, my wonderful grandmother also, had some family that had lived a couple of blocks away from the Capitol and from the white house. And we stopped over there and we, uh, we took some pictures. My, my grandmother was the first person that put up money to get me out of the gulag. And, Mm -hmm. um, she had sacrificed nearly all of her retirement until my mom had gotten, uh, to the point to where, uh, she could take out the second mortgage. And, uh, sadly my grandmother passed away, uh, very, uh, a a short time ago. And she, uh, she gave me the best advice I think that I've had out of everything that's there. She said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and be patient. And I think that, you know, that's going to be the the most significant thing, uh, in all of the J6 stuff, as we start looking forward to going to trial and stuff like that is to, to just be patient. So we made our way I, I digress from that. So we made our way from the, from that house. And we went to go see how close we could get to the white house. Um, obviously not very close that, you know, on yeah. January. 12th. I wouldn't think so. Um, but I was able to zoom in and with my, with my lens and get some great pictures of, I believe the South lawn of the white house was where we were at. Went and ate some mcdonald got to see just how devastatingly obscure and downtrodden DC actually is with everything boarded up and, Just no one on the streets, just nobody. There's nothing anywhere. Uh, Saw a few few famous hotels. We were shaking hands and thanking any U.S. Metro Capitol Police and and, uh, military personnel that we saw, you know, saying saying, thank you. We appreciate you coming in and thank you for your support on everything. And then we leave and we go home and we get back to Arizona. And uh dad was on a more interesting flight than I was on the on the way home.
0: Tell us about your interesting flight, Jeff. <laughs> well, the two so the day
2: after um the uh January 6th, um, the very next day, I was involved in the two biggest national uh uh TV uh news cycles. Uh the first was is when uh, Lindsey Graham. Uh, in fact, what was really uh, disheartening is is that Lindsey Graham had just come to the um, area and was going to board a plane, and um, I had uh, he was only sitting about four uh, seats from me, and I w- I got up and I started to uh, go and talk to him when a bunch of protesters and people that were angry with him got up started shouting the the uh, police got uh, surrounded him he was escorted out uh, there was lots of video uh, there and um, while you can see me if you go back to it you can see me and at the very beginning and then him walking away uh, and stuff and so um, that made national news that that Lindsey Graham had had uh, been run off by by uh, protesters. And then the the flight that I was on, um, there's a recording as well, and it's on my my website. Um, and when you click on it, um, we had some uh, uh, people started uh, shouting "USA, USA," uh, you know, in support of uh, of Trump, and they were saying "Trump, Trump, Trump." And the pilot came on, and he said, "None of this." He said, "I will, I will pull over, and um, you know." Uh, Dallas, and I will drop you off uh, there. You will not uh, be disrespectful on my plane. And, and, and so that made national news because somebody actually was recording it and recorded everything about that. And so uh, afterwards, uh, we had news uh, uh, people. And it was really funny because I had just basically walked uh, uh, by all of the news people and stuff, and they were stopping people that was coming off the flight and were talking to them. And then somebody goes, well, there's a guy that's a congressional candidate that just walked by y'all. And so I had actually was down by the um, uh, luggage and had just retrieved my luggage when all of a sudden I was barraged by all of the Phoenix, uh, media, uh, and stuff. And so I, I was interviewed in, in what was taking place. And, and from that point is when I, I literally had launched what was going on and, and my campaign.
0: Wow. What a kickoff. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But,
2: uh, you yeah. know, the thing is, is that, um, I, my, my stance is, is that for us, we need to sit down and we need to look at, um, what it is and why we were there. We were, we were a society that knew that something was wrong. Uh, here's what's really interesting. Now, uh, since then, uh, January 6th, not only am I involved with uh, about uh, 60 or to 100 and, uh, plus uh, attorneys across the, uh, the country, and any of them can give me a call and talk to me and I will get as much information as I possibly can. One of the things that um, uh, I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm working with Paul Gosar and, and Andy Biggs. Uh, there are two congressmen here in Arizona. Now, what's really interesting is, is that uh, uh, when Paul Gosar was on the J6 committee uh, at the very the very first one and was going to be looking into it, and I had spent two and a half hours with him and I, I had covered all of this information. I turned over all of the, the video, uh, which, by the way, I just emailed you and I've got I've got a link and, and some uh, uh, an attachment that has the video that we were describing earlier. Oh, great. Um, and so one of the things that um, I did was, is I turned all this uh, information over to, uh, to Paul and he was going to have me. This was on a Saturday night. Uh, he was going to have me uh, come to Washington, D.C. that next Thursday or Friday, depending on what he could do to get me uh, uh, to testify. And then all of a sudden, the famous tweet, the, well, it's not his tweet. It's a retweet. And he retweets. And the next thing I know, uh, the, uh, on Wednesday, uh, he is removed from all of his congressional committees he he is told that uh, he didn't have to uh, you know worry about any of those things. But what was really interesting is is that on Wednesday afternoon I was given a call and said that I did not need to come to Washington D.C. That I would not uh, be asked to speak. So it's it's kind of interesting how that just happened to play in. Yeah, now, isn't what, it? yeah. And mm-hmm. and what's really interesting is is that um, uh, today. I have uh, Andy Biggs who has access to the uh, video. And one of the things that over the weekend, uh, he and I were talking and I told him, I said, here's the thing, I'm getting so many complaints from all of the attorneys. They they don't have access to this video. The DOJ and, and he had actually said that uh, he wanted to uh, talk to people that was in regards to that. And so I, I, with me, I actually have his cell phone number. So I actually uh, texted him directly and said, uh, not only do we not have access to the uh, uh, video, but the link, the password is not working. So even if the attorneys get in on that link, the password that they have been given doesn't work. So they don't have access to that. We need to make sure that we can do that. So what he did was, is this weekend, I sent him an email that was very detailed about what uh, Ryan took uh, 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 everybody through. And one of the things that I told him is, is that 208, I know exactly where we were at, at 208 p.m. on January 6th in in 2020. We were on the porch of the uh, Senate side by the Columbus doors. And the reason why I know that is because I'm the one that has the... Uh, video of Hunter Emke jumping up on the ledge, kicking out three panes, punching two others, and then having his legs swept out from underneath him. So I told him, I said, if you can't find us at the Metro at uh, 5.30 in the morning, or you can't find us a- any place else, go to that point. And now you can go forward and backwards. And with the uh, software that they have, once they've flagged us, in one one video, it will flag us in all of their videos, so we will have all the different angles. So he's supposed to have been doing that today. Um, I, I've asked him uh, in my in my request. I've asked him to send us a detailed uh, uh, copy of uh, from all the different angles of the uh, video there. And one of the things that we're going to do is, is that, uh, and what we're talking about, is that uh, I want to go and speak and testify before Congress again. Here's the reason why. Because I've received three phone calls. I've received a phone call that said that if I would drop out of the race, they would drop the charges on my son. Um, my, uh, uh, my son received a very similar phone call as well. I've I've received another one that said that if I would drop out of the race, that they would provide an offshore account with enough money in it that I would never have to work again. Wow. And then the third. Yeah. And then the third phone call that I received was that they wanted me to uh, my wife and I to come and they were going to. Have us go at, to an island so that we could sit down and they could put us on some of the top uh, boards that influence the, the, the world, not just uh, America, but the world and everything else. Well, here's the thing. One of the things that, that happened when Christ came out of the wilderness and everything was Satan in, in a weakened moment. We've now gone through this quite a bit. And I can say that, that Ryan and I have, have had heated arguments. We've had, uh, you know, times where we, we've, we've uh, uh, ironed out what's going on and, and doing things. But in the end, you know, he's my son and uh, I, I want them to come after me. I'm the congressional candidate, not my son. <laughs> my son uh, is the low end of the hanging fruit. Why don't you come after me? I'm the hanging
0: fruit. I'm, I'm a lot I'm a congressional candidate. Don't you want to put me in prison? Did they indicate who they were? I mean, how did they introduce themselves in these calls?
2: Oh, well okay so here's how. here's how, how nefarious this is. Not only does my phone not operate and work uh, the way that it normally does when somebody calls, it's it, it. I can't get it to light up. So if it goes dark and you kind of touch the screen and it lights back up and it and it kind of works, none of that took place. All three calls took place. Now here's the thing. I'm also uh, in contact with some people that scare me to death, but they're white hat hackers. These guys are are ghosts. They're they're spooks that are out there that. Um, they operate off the grid. They, they operate on the dark web. They, they know what's going on, but they're good guys. They're, they're, they're people for us
0: right. and
2: stuff. And I handed them my phone and I said, I received these phone calls at this time, at this, at this date and everything else. And, and, they, and they looked at it and they just laughed and they said, well, there's nothing going to be on there. And I said, no, I, got, I received a phone call. And so, sure enough, they uh, they got into the operating system. They looked at it. The metadata was not there. It, the calls never happened. Wow. And they, wow. they basically just said, yeah. you know, you what what happened is is that I can capture your phone at any time. I can make a phone call and 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 I can talk to you, but but you won't ever have any record of it. And I'm just going to make you look crazy. Mm-hmm. And so these are things that, that have taken place. I can tell you that I've had on, on my uh, computer, uh, on Dropbox, on uh, uh, flash drives that I've, I, I've had. I, I first made the mistake with my flash drive being plugged into my uh, computer and everything of having every one of those videos erased. So the FBI comes in, they capture my, my uh, and, and it happens all the time. They captured my uh, my phone, they captured my computer and everything, and they, they go in and they'll delete stuff out. And so all of this information has been turned over to, to Andy. One of the things that I wanna do with Congressman Biggs is I wanna be able to sit down and, and testify to the fact that we have not only a media that's out of control, a government that's out of control, we have a democratic socialist uh, uh, party that's out of control. And what they're doing is, is they literally attacked uh, a, a another party, the, the Republican Party, and I was not allowed to raise money. I raised less than uh, $100,000, uh, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that nobody could actually donate money to my campaign. But what happened was is that uh, because of... Um, You know RedWind and Anadot and uh, that are the um, donation platforms and Mm -hmm. stuff on website. They they do a service charge. Well, guess what? If you donate a dollar, and and they they do that and they take the service charge and everything else, it costs me money to have them donate that dollar. So I don't get the dollar in my, uh, in my account. I get uh, a 20 cent surcharge, which they take away from other uh, donors that I get. So if I get a donor that, that gives me $100 and everything else, well, 4% of that. So $96 is deposited into my account, but $4 of it is taken and is uh, deposited into the uh, platform. And that's how they make their money. But if you do that at the, at the um, um, level where it's a, at smaller increments, then what they do is, is they have a, a, a large surcharge of a dollar and then it, it, there's a click charge of 20 cents. So it was literally doing that. And so I was getting uh, a whole bunch of these people that were hitting me for a dollar and and in one month, I lost almost thousand uh, dollars wow. just because of the the charges that was coming in. So I, I had to you know set a limit and say no if it's a do- if it's a dollar um, then you know it, it has to be rejected. And so we were having to do that. It was it was little things that were taking place that a lot of people you know don't uh, don't really know some of the tactics that are being used. And so these these things were taking place. One of the things that um, I wanted to do, once I come back and I saw what was going on, um, what's really interesting is is that when people go and they take a look at Hunter Amke and, and when he's on the ground and then stood up and then um, we stopped the, the video 20 minutes after we stopped the video, he is released on his own recognizance. He is allowed to go home he is allowed to go back to California he is allowed to on on March 13th is when he is allowed to go to the federal building there in California by teleprompter and appear before a federal judge where he is then given uh, uh, that he is being charged with uh, uh, destroying a, a public building and, uh, and damaging a federal uh, uh, building as well. So two charges right there. Then he is uh, released on his own recognizance, no bail, no jail time, no nothing whatsoever, allowed to go home. And then he stays home and then uh, all the way through until August 30th when he is then got brought in uh, uh, to uh, trial. He, he stays at trial in California where he is found guilty he is found he has to uh, he had to serve 4 months in incarceration he um had 3 years probation and he has to pay back 2921 dollars restitution that's not a bad deal whatsoever i i i don't consider that
0: uh you know uh yeah that's that's deal. pretty fair compared to what we're seeing you know
2: yeah now let's Let's take a look at what they did to my son. Now, this is the reason why I come in and I start talking because I'm not under a gag order. I can talk about specifics of his case and what happened, what was going on. And it's also a part of the documentation that has been released. But here's the thing. Not only do they on February 4th, less than a month later, they don't arrest him. They go to his home at three o'clock in the morning on February the 4th they tear the front end of his house out. They flashbang him and his dog. They arrest him. They put him in uh, jail at Lubbock because it was snowing and was so cold at that time, they couldn't get out to fly to um, Washington, DC. I get a phone call telling me that he's been uh, arrested by the FBI and and everything else. And and so as we start playing this out, I start trying to get a hold of, um, the attorney general, Ken Paxton, uh, there in Texas, we start trying to, uh, to scramble the, uh, Texas Rangers and everything else. The FBI kidnaps him, takes him away. He, de- he doesn't even know where he's at. I get a phone call from him going, well, I'm not in the gulag, but I don't know where I'm at uh, and stuff. He later finds out, but during the time that this was taking place, he couldn't tell me where he was at. And he just didn't know. So then, no, he, he, he didn't even know. And so then what happened was, is the fact that he then went to uh, the gulag where he stayed six weeks uh, there. The, the thing that gets me is, is that, um, you know, him staying there that we then start hearing all of the stories that are still coming out of the gulag, you know, uh, him not showering for three to five days. Um, uh, not being uh, let out of the prison cell at all, they they sing the uh, national anthem and and guys are getting beaten on either side to try to get them to shut up. That happened after I left, though. Continually uh, uh, to this day, because I still get um, people that uh, are, are on calls where they tell me what's going on and what's happening, and and the thing is, is that. What I've what I've told, uh, you know, Congressman Biggs and and Gosar is why aren't any I mean, somebody needs to be down there every night as a congressman. They need to be talking to them. They need to be finding out what's going on. They need to make sure that people, uh, you know, the last I checked in this country, you are innocent until proven guilty right now, under this Biden administration you're guilty until proven democrat and hmm. we need to make sure what's taking place is that these rights are being upheld constitutionally and the jiva con- uh, convention uh, also comes into play here yeah. so we need to sit, we need to set down and really start lighting up our c- congressmen because here's the thing you know, this stuff about uh, Louis Goldberg, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt uh, uh, Gates, and them, when they were turned away from the gulag, they should have had U.S. Marshals with them. They have, the Congress has the ability to arrest somebody if you uh, uh, heed a investigation that's taking place. They were there to investigate what was going on and was turned away, and they walked away. I can assure you that when I get into Congress, I will be there every night. As long as I know that somebody is still there, I will be there that night meeting with them. So how was your day? Uh, Any interaction with the guards? Who who is the guard? Uh, you know, how's your meals, you know, and then and then talking to the uh, uh, people and saying, you know, you're not going to starve these people to death. I mean, the description that not only my son has stated, but it's been backed up by thousands of other people that have told me that they get the equivalent of one meal a day. It's just divided in three. So we we need to sit down and start looking at this and going, we don't allow this to happen. And, you know, the last last I checked, we the people are above the president, above Senate, Congress and every other elected official. We the people dictate to them the the government does not have the right in order to monitor, to apprehend or do anything, have any knowledge of an individual. But as as an elected official, we as the we, the people should know everything about them. How much money they get, where does that money come from? what what do they do? What do they drive? What, you know what house do they live? I'm sorry, you get to live in a glass house when you become a politician.
0: What do you think about term limits? Because I think that has so much to do with it as these people get in there, mm-hmm. they get they, they get um, you know, they kind of have to go through the little freshman thing. And I think they are shown some some money and some power, and uh, sometimes they're they compromise them on purpose, so they so they have something against them, and then they're in there, and then they're, they're just they're just doing they're they're doing whatever they can to stay and to hold on to that money and power, and it's it's just a game.
2: Well, it's like anything else. Uh, we know that power co- uh, corrupts. We know absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we need to make sure that um, uh, term limits, so I'm all for that. I think that as a congressman, you should, you should serve four terms maximum. That's eight years. Um, uh, General Washington gave us the standard of what he thought would be appropriate for anybody in office, which was two terms as president. I think that senators need to have uh, two years shaved off that it's every four years that they're elected and that uh, they can only serve two, two terms. Uh, so everybody serves uh, a total of uh, eight years. And then after that, you cannot go to lobbyist uh, uh, you know, corporations. You cannot work. One of the things that aggravate me more than anything else is, is that we have uh, more uh, um, generals right now at any time, there's 48 generals in the Pentagon right now. When we were in World War II, there was uh, uh, four. Wow. Why? If we don't have. Why do we have so many generals? Is because all of these people want to, you know, promote their buddy and and everything else. And then as soon as they retire from the Pentagon, they immediately go to Lockheed Martin. They go to all of these different places. Then they go in to the Pentagon and they say, hey, guys, I just want to uh, let you know I was here two weeks ago. Now I'm working for here. I want this government contract and everything else. Well, you know, I can't do that. Hey, buddy, you're there because I put you there. So sign the deal. These are the backdoor deals that all need to stop. If you come out of the military, if you come out of Congress or Senate or or You know, politics, period. Now, here's another thing that also needs to take place because I've done some investigative uh, work and and everything. And do you know who the most dangerous people are in Washington, D.C.? Who? The people that work for the senators, for the congressmen, and for the president. See, these people stay
0: is this the staffers
2: correct yeah and so we we have uh we have evidence and the thing is is that because I'm working on Carrie Lake's team uh and and Abe Hamidays and Tina Peters and and everything and and I'm working with what's going on with the election integrity and, and stuff now the thing is is that I always tell everybody now you need to understand that not only do I know uh, uh, what happened in Arizona, but I also have worked the Texas audit, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, Colorado. I, I've worked. I, I am the foremost leading authority on audits now by default. And one of the things that I get calls all the time are from all of these states and and Oregon. Here, a lot of people don't know this, but Oregon's been. I've been working with them. And we have 11 counties in Oregon that are going to secede from Oregon and
0: join Idaho. And I hadn't heard about that for a couple of years. So that's still going on.
2: That's still going on. And in fact, we're getting closer because the uh, machines that are being used and also the people that have been elected and there, the conservative people cannot stand what's going on. So they want they're now moving that forward. And and this time, it looks like this is going to happen uh, wow. and stuff. And so I'm, I'm involved in all of that. And so these are things that, uh, you know, like I said, I, I went from literally not uh, uh, knowing if I was going to live past twenty twenty. To now being not only involved in J6, but every audit, that major audit that's gone across the country, I'm, I'm directly involved in. As a pastor, I've sent out thousands of religious exemptions all over the country for every branch of the military, most of the uh, corporations. One of my uh, uh, letters was used here in Arizona against a hospital where uh, the nurses won a $20 million lawsuit, and my religious exemption letter was used in an uh, as an exhibit uh, to help overturn that and, and to punish the people that were making them either quit or forcibly uh, take the vaccine and stuff. So the, the thing is, is that, you know, uh, people come to me and they go, well, what kind of congressman will you be? I don't know. You look at my track record and you see what how hard I'm fighting and then tell me what you think I'm going to do when I get into Congress, because I'm not going to sit and be the status quo. Um, I, and, and one of the things that I'm telling people now is, is that um, I, I've been given a goal. I've been told that I need to raise one hundred thousand dollars. Once I do that, I have a, a plane ticket to Mar-a-Lago. I will sit down with uh, uh, Donald Trump at that time. And the, and the difference with uh, with that meeting as opposed to anybody else, I don't need his support. I don't need his backing. I, he doesn't have to worry about me thinking that, am I going to try to help him? I'm the only congressional candidate that has not only was there at January 6th, but also worked in every major audit across the country I know exactly what they uh, what they did and how they stole the uh, election. Get me into Congress. And when they say, well, you really don't know, I'm going to sit down and go, not only do I know, but I can prove it because here's the evidence. And so uh, that's one of the things. So I will I will tip you off. I've got three cases that I'm working with and all three of them are are, are coming up in May which is really interesting. Carrie Lakes is coming up in May. Abe Hamaday's is coming up in May. And so is Tina Peters. And and so the thing is, is that May is going to be an, uh, a month where people will be watching Colorado and, and Arizona again. And these people are going to be on on trial. And, and the thing is, is that um, what a lot of people don't know, Abe Hamaday only lost by 528 votes. Wow. It triggered a a hand count. Now there's 12 count or 12 precincts that came into question and they were only allowed to do two. We had 12. They were allowed to do two. In those two precincts, they cut it in half. So he literally only lost by 280 votes and they won't count the other 10. So what, what we're doing right now is, is we, we have discovered what they've done and what uh, um, uh, has happened with Katie Hobbs. Uh, and Katie Hobbs gave the, the keys to the front door of all of the NGOs. And so that's the non-government organization. So NGO is a non-government organization. So they come in and and they go, okay, Mel, you have done so well that not only do you have a home here in Phoenix, but you have a summer home in Payson up in the mountains where it's cool during the summer. And, and, And this is like walking on the face of the sun during the winter. I mean, during the summer here. Um, so eight months out of the year, you want to be in Phoenix when everybody else is freezing to death. It's you know, like today. Uh, it was so uh, bad. It was 67 degrees uh, high uh, here. It was just, oh, it was awful. We have to struggle. You know, so these are, the, these are the times that we enjoy being in Phoenix. But the, uh, what's happened is, is that you have maybe an ATV or an, an RV and you've got it stored up at the, the Payson house. And everything else. Well, guess what? These NGOs can come in and they'll look up mail and they'll go, oh, okay, well, let's see here. Oh, they got two. All right. Well, she votes here in Phoenix because it's during the winter in November and stuff. And she's done that for 20 years. Okay. All right. She now votes in Payson. Now, here's the thing. They do it three months prior to, to uh, November. You're not notified. You don't give permission. They've not, And so nothing happens to you until election day. You show up at the uh, polling site that you've always uh, uh, voted at, and you give your uh, uh, driver's license and everything else and said, I'm here to vote. And they come over there and they go, we can't find you. You're not registered here. What do you mean I'm not registered here? Well, you're registered in Payson. No, I'm I'm not registered in Payson. I'm registered here. Well, you worked all day. You were going to vote, uh, you know, that evening. So at five o'clock, you try. You're trying to get in. Let's say that you uh, had to wait. Let's see, the average wait time in Arizona on election day was an hour and a half. You got in line at five o'clock. Polls close at at seven. You've now had to wait for an hour and a half. It's 30 minutes before uh, that poll closes. Guess what? You can't get to Payson. You now are disenfranchised because when you request a uh, provisional ballot, which is what most of these people did, that provisional ballot is not uh, counted. And so your vote does not count. We've identified over 7,000 people there. Remember... Wow. Two hundred and eighty was the difference. Mm-hmm. Guess guess what we've also found out of that seven thousand. What party was uh, uh, is the one that got disenfranchised? Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. So all of them are Republicans. On top yeah. of that, and uh, you know, and uh, about eighty percent of them are, are Republican. About twenty percent are independent. So we have, so we have that. So we go in and and I come in and I ask you some questions. I say, Mel, um, did uh, is this the address that you uh, uh, live at? Yes, it is. Do you have any other addresses? Yes, I do. What is that? And so we take that down. Um, have you always voted from uh, this uh, uh, previous address? Yes, I have. Did you ever change any of the uh, uh, addresses at any time? Did you forward the mail back and forth or anything else? Did you move? So we're asking all of these questions and we're building this declaration. When By the time we get done, we have an ironclad declaration, we only have to have uh, 280. We're setting it uh, right now a little over 400. We're going to go. We're trying to get to about five or six. And and we're going to be done. We have to be done by May 1st, May uh, uh, 5th. We have to turn all of our our stuff in for discovery uh, and everything to the other side. And then on May 16th, we're going to be in trial with oral arguments. Now, the deal with Carrie Lake, as everybody knows, six of the counts, which I I love how they turn this. You know, Carrie Lake mostly loses her case, okay. But the one thing that they did uh, uh, rule on, which is the the signature verification, which is what they are terrified of. Yeah. See, the, the thing is, is that not only are we setting at 490,000 uh, ballots that have been disenfranchised on sig- signature verification, and it, every day that goes by, it grows. And so what we're able to do now is, is we're, we're now looking at it. So here, here's one of the things that really aggravates people. So you have this box, and you're supposed to have a signature uh, uh, on the outside of your envelope. You're supposed to put your phone number in case there's a question about your uh, uh, ballot that you put inside that envelope, and you're supposed to date it. Now, the phone number is not nearly as important, but you have to have two things for a mail-in ballot to count here in Arizona. First and foremost, you have to have a signature. That's one. That's kind of a given. Yeah. We have over 12,000 that we've identified that was accepted that had no signatures.
0: Wow.
2: Okay. The difference between Hobbs and, and um, uh, uh, Lake is uh, over 17,000. Right? So we haven't made it yet. So here's here's another thing. Not only did I steal your uh, mail in ballot mail, but I was so brazen that I signed my name. I didn't even sign your name. I signed my name in the signature deal. So now we have mail and we have Jeff. Mel and Jeff don't resemble each other. They don't look like each other. There's not anything there outside of the E. That's the only thing we have in common. Right. So so there's a problem there. And yet all of those were done. There's well over 10,000 of those. We, we now have uh, another uh, set that uh, we have forgeries. So all of the people, uh, not only do we put every person that is doing this through the same criteria that Katie Hobbs's uh, uh, signature verification people do, uh, to look at it. I am very good now at hand analysis of signatures. Well, one of the things that took place when we first started in 2020 was we shipped all of this information over to Dr. Shiva. Dr. Shiva took a look at it, but he, had some, he didn't have something that we obtained later. He didn't have all of the Service Arizona uh, deals. So when you, every time that you register your vehicle, and you pay your registration, you have to sign something. We get copies of those uh, uh, signatures, and and we can see all of them. So I I will have, uh, for yours, I'll have mail on the envelope, and then I may have maybe uh, five or six or 15 mails over here that you've signed, and so I can compare those two side by side. One of the things that Dr. Shiva didn't have uh, in the Arizona audit of 2020, he didn't have the service Arizona uh, aspect. So it was speculation and it was guessing. Guess what? We're not speculating. We're not guessing. Now we have over uh, 490,000 disenfranchised people. Now, the last I checked, I think four hundred and ninety thousand is a little bit larger than seventeen thousand, yeah, which was the difference between Katie Hobbs and Kerry Lake. So not only uh, have we done that, but one of the things that was really interesting is is that Judge Thompson uh, here, when he ruled, um, the they uh, uh, sent it to the Supreme Court, and uh, you know the six other counts were. Rejected. Those are going to go on to the Supreme Court here. But uh, the one that was uh, put down here, and what was very interesting was the wording that the Supreme Court in Arizona stated that the statutes and the law was not followed. And Judge Thompson ruled and said that we had to meet a statute that said that I had to show, that we had to show intent. It doesn't state that in the statute. Uh, Only thing it says is intent. I mean, how do you, I mean, that's such a high bar, but what the statute says is, is that if it rises to the level that it uh, causes the election to be questionable, then you must redo your, uh, your election. Okay, we have testimony of Scott Jared perjuring himself in trial, where and then Steve Richard confirming that they lost custody, chain of custody of 2.9 million ballots. So, 2.9 million ballots are now not trustworthy and cannot have any form of chain of custody. We have 3.1 total. There's no way that our election is not questionable now. And so that's why it's going to be very uh, important. And here's the other thing. We already have precedent. In 1917, we removed the governor on the basis of a questionable election that was uh, very similar to what is taking place now. So what I always tell everybody is, is don't give up hope because Kerry Lake will be in, uh, be our governor and, and uh, Abe Hamaday will be our AG. When that happens, the lawsuits and the, and the signing of bills that will take place is gonna be a precedent. Arizona will be brought back to its original, it's not blue, it's red. And, and we will reestablish it. And then here's the thing. Every state that wants to do this, we will have a team that will set down and will come to that state and will help you and develop the same thing. And we, we can put election integrity back in, into play. So that, that's one of the things that we want to also do. So the thing is, is that while I was on a, uh, on a couch and, and, and was dying, God raised me up for such a time as this and the reason why I'm able to do this is because of him. It has nothing to do with me. I am just a simple man. I, I'm not anybody special, but I am somebody that is willing to roll up their sleeves. And when I die, whether I'm taken out by somebody or I uh, uh, you know, die of old age and, and everything else, either way, my goal is, is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. And that's what I'm in for. And that's what I'm willing to uh, to uh, fight for. So the thing is, is that any J6 er any family that is that is struggling and having problems, I will come and I will speak. We will do fundraisers. We will do whatever we have to do. I am willing to uh, uh, go the extra mile in helping people. And it's very important that we understand that we are at war. This is not, this is Ephesians 6. This is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Republican and Democrat. This is against good and evil. We need to rise up as godly men and women and we need to uh, uh, now sit down and say no more. I'm sorry, but uh, and I don't have my jacket on because it's too warm in this studio right now. But the thing is, is that on my lapel, I have a cross that has the flag draped across it because uh, Christ died for America and for every country across the country. I have feet that are 10-week uh, uh, aborted feet uh, at the foot of that cross. And I have an elephant with a blue and, and uh, pink there, meaning that, the, that I'm a Republican that believes that there's only two sex, sexes made, male and female, which is what God calls it. And I don't care what you identify as. And then more importantly, I have the American flag on my uh, uh, left lapel, which is that I will stand for this country and I will do whatever I have to do in order to make sure. I'm not in this for money. I'm not in this for prestige. I'm not here to be anybody's nice uh, person. Um, I wear a black hat for a reason. I'm not a nice guy. I'm a nice guy for the people of of America and the patriots. But I'm not going to be nice to the establishment and to these elitist and to the government tyrannical people that are running this country. I'm coming there and I carry a pistol on my hip and I will be using it if I have to. But we are going to go back to the way it was when I was a kid, because my grandchildren are not in the same country that I grew up
0: uh, back in the 60s. Amen to all that. I, I, I vote for you if I could. <laughs> I'm behind well, you if all the way. You can. <laughs> I'm behind you all the way, Jeff. <laughs> well, um yeah, I mean I think I think that's amazing and uh Ryan, <laughs> before we have to go, tell us where you are with your case now and uh you know what we can do to to help you out.
1: Uh I'm headed to trial September 5th in DC. So, um that's that's where we're at. I'm going to be tried for a felony, and then two misdemeanors, uh, the obstruction felony entering, per, or, uh, entering or remaining in a restricted area, and then uh, one that pertains going into the building, which never happened. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where we're at. I'm being represented now uh, by some good attorneys, Roger Roots and John Pierce. I'm represented by the John Pierce Law Firm. Excellent. I'd like to give them a shout out because uh, whenever I came in, my other attorneys have not refunded anything. We've got nothing out of them. They said they were going to, haven't done it. As soon as I was not willing to take a plea deal, they bailed.
0: Yeah. And I, I think when this is all said and done, there's, uh, I, I know a heck of a lot of J6ers who plan on uh, suing attorneys. So that, that's going to get interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm one of them for sure. Yeah. yeah. But Roger and them took me on that I didn't have to pay anything up front. I, I'm raising I'm raising money to help them in their cause. I've got a, a Gibson Go, gibsongo.com forward slash Ryan Zink. Uh, you can go on there. You can donate. You can view me yelling at violent protesters who were trying to attack police on the porch. That video clip is in there. And I'm not keeping any of this money. Any of the rest of the money that I get is going to go uh, once I've reached my goal and paid off my stuff. I'm going to continue in the fight because if I am able to get out of these charges, I am running for Congress. I'm coming too. So two black I've cats and two horses riding into town. Because he may live in Arizona, but we were born and bred in Texas. And I've always been a fighter, and I will continue to be. If, you, if you're a J6-er, if you're somebody who is really struggling, and you need somebody to talk to, get on Twitter message me. We are in this together. I don't really care what you've done. I don't. I, I'm not there for judgment. God calls me to love everyone, but hate the sin. And some of the things that happen on J6, I don't think there's an excuse for, it, but that does not mean that we deserve to be treated the way that we have been treated. And it's not just with the J6ers, because in my time, in all of the different facilities that I was at, I saw some things that I want to correct too in our justice system because of the way that things are handled and so maybe that's my calling and uh before before I jump off of everything uh I just wanted to thank you Mel for the opportunity for you know to hear us out I know that we are definitely a long interview I uh, I do think that we're we're one worth listening to uh so that people can see the other side but if it wasn't for platforms like yourself and the other people that are allowing us to speak, you would never hear this story. And so, for that, I thank God for people like you because it helps hold accountability to the media to, to allow something to, to, uh, to get out. And uh, the last thing that you know anyone can do if they'd like to help me is pray. The power of prayer is so under. Estimated in today's society. And I and I encourage you and I implore you that if you do not know Jesus Christ, now is the time to know him, because everything can fall apart tomorrow. And um, if there's that hole and that void in your life, I'm not a perfect guy by any means. If there is that calling, if there's somebody that you want to go go to a local pastor, go to somebody reach out and discover who Jesus is because along my journey with the, with where I've gone, I'm not perfect. I, you know, I still, I still have a lot of problems with uh, my anger issues and PTSD from the stuff that I've been through. I still freak out. A chair flew across the yard the other day, but Jesus takes me for who I am and he can do the same for you. And that's my call. If you would like to know Jesus Christ, please reach out and find a way to get to know him because I swear he wants to get to know you.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you, Ryan, so much. Thank you both for being here. You both have very powerful stories and and I can't wait to see what you guys have in store for us in the future.
2: Thank you, Mel, for for having us on. And Like I said, it it is something you can always go to uh, jeffzinkforcongress.com and take a look at my website. You can see uh, different bills that I will introduce immediately. You'll you'll see what's going on, but more importantly, you also know that I'm working uh, behind the scenes with, um, you know, here in Arizona, Colorado, Texas, and all of them, and and trying to uh, not only work with Arizona, but for the, the whole United States, we, the people, are needing to be represented. And they're not, they're just not uh, being represented. And so we need to show, you know, just like when Trump went into office, he showed us how bad we had come uh, to accepting the politicians at that time and we got to see what leadership truly was and we need to start having people that have that leadership skills and because trump can't do it by himself so he's going to have to have help and that's where i come in and that's where other people would come in and and not you know i'm sorry but i won't apologize for standing up for we the people, I won't do that. Yeah,
0: and you shouldn't. <laughs> well, God bless you both so much. Thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, keep keep me posted. Let me know if uh, there's anything else we need to to get out. And and uh, my platform is always yours.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for Absolutely. having us on.
0: I really appreciate it. No. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye-bye.
2: All bleed the same red blood of patriots.
0: Make Honey Great Again. I guess we feel like we're servants and we have a product out there that's really cool. And we're, we're raising a lot, a lot, a lot of money for, uh, for different groups like yourself. Grown and bottled in America.
1: It looks just like President Trump.
0: Where can people order this honey? It's a very easy site. It's called MakeHoneyGreatAgain.com. Sales code MEL. Off it goes, within 24 hours it's shipped to you. Make America great again.